I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. Today, I have a conversation with Sharon Fairley. She's a candidate for Illinois Attorney General and the first candidate to be endorsed by the American Women's Party. She's a really impressive candidate. She studied mechanical and aerospace engineering, speaking of women in STEM. She's worked as a federal prosecutor, and she also worked to root out inefficiency and corruption in Chicago as first deputy inspector general and general counsel. The thing that I really want to point out about this race is that it's a local election. And one of the things that Republicans did really well, which led to their being in the position that they're in now, you know, with majorities at every level of government, is that they focused on local races. No race was too insignificant for their investment and their energy, and it paid off big time. So even if you aren't in Illinois, you should still care about these races. Okay, so I'll stop talking about that now. Back to Sharon Fairley. I really hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, here is Sharon Fairley. Sharon Fairley, welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to to talk to you today. Firstly, I want to say congratulations on your run for Illinois Attorney General. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really excited about it. You know, and I'm embarrassed to admit that the Office of Attorney General, it's not a position that I've thought much about as a constituent. Mm. I mean, Mm -hmm. after Trump's first executive order, the travel ban, which Mm -hmm. was successfully challenged by the attorney general from my state, Bob Ferguson, it was only then that I started to think about the office, right? So for people like myself, what does the state attorney general do and why should people care about this election? Right. So it really is a very important role, but I think you're right. It's, It's the kind of, it's the kind of governmental position that doesn't get quite as much or hasn't until recently gotten as much attention as some of the other important constitutional offices at the state level, such as governor, for example. But it really is an important role. So every state has defines how, what role and what duties and responsibilities an attorney general has. Um, but by and large, the common ground is that the attorney general is really there to represent the people and the government from a legal perspective. And so what that means is there are certain core responsibilities. For example, the attorney general is the lawyer who represents the government agencies when they are parties to a lawsuit. Right. So and then also the attorney general represents the citizens in prosecuting uh, certain kinds of activities, such as protecting the environment, protecting consumers from abusive business practices. And so it's really this protective function and representation function are really at the core uh, of, of the attorney general role. Then beyond that, there are also there's also a role in the area of the criminal justice system. So and, and this is where you you see some differences among the states, but here in Illinois, the attorney general has the power to work with the state's attorneys across the state to, to prosecute criminal cases. And in some cases, the attorney general has the power to prosecute cases directly um, under certain circumstances and certain statutes. So, and then the, the last big piece, and this is, I think, where we're seeing where we're seeing a lot of activity and interest based on what you just described is, you know, the, the attorney general has this sort of broad duty or responsibility to care for and defend the citizens of the states, their civil rights, their health and well-being. And so that's where we're seeing this t- the attorney generals across the country really stepping up to the plate and pushing back against the Trump administration's regressive policies and uh, on a variety of fronts. 
response. And so, you know, this coalition has really been catapulted into the forefront of, you know, of our consciousness in the last year because they have been becoming so active in exercising that particular duty, which has become so increasingly important. There seems to be more visibility for state attorney generals with this White House and this administration. I mean, have we reached a new level of involvement for state level attorney generals being involved at the federal level? I don't think it's necessarily new. I think it's just that what we're finding is that the attorneys generals are now getting involved in the kind of matters that are just really forefront in the national conscience, right? The issues of treatment of LGBTQ, the um, treatment of all, all kinds of immigration matters, the you know, like the the DACA issue, civil rights, net neutrality, for example, these are things that you know are are now really forefront and center. Things that people are really concerned about and people care about. So I think the attorney generals across the states have always done this kind of thing, um, but it, it hasn't been on issues as quite as visible or that people cared as much about as you're seeing happening today. And of course, there probably is more frequency to it just because we are seeing so much more aggressiveness on the part of the Trump administration um, in terms of, you know, dictating these policies that, that by and large, the public are just not on board with. So earlier in your career, I know you were a prosecutor, right? Mm-hmm. But your path to becoming an attorney seemed, you know, rather, I guess, indirect or unconventional conventional because you started studying mechanical and aerospace engineering at, at Princeton and then you got an MBA yeah. right of marketing at the Wharton School in, at the University of Pennsylvania so why did you decide to go to law school yeah it was quite a it was quite a journey um, getting getting to that point in my career so uh, let me let me talk about that a little bit because I you know I really so in, in many ways I believe that everything about my past personal and professional life has really help prepare me to take on the role of attorney general. So, so yeah, so as, as in college, I studied mechanical and aerospace engineering. I was really strong in math and science as a, as a young person in high school. And I just really loved airplanes. I loved to, to learn about airplanes, the design. And so that's why I decided to go down that path of study when I was in college and really enjoyed it, had a great experience. I spent a couple of uh, summers working in the field of engineering and, and decided that I really wanted to sort of branch out professionally to a professional path that was a little bit more well-rounded. And so I went and got my MBA in marketing. And then I I moved to New York and I I worked in advertising and marketing and marketing consulting. And I worked um, on a number of really um, interesting, you know, favorite consumer brands like Cool Whip and Cody Fragrances Cosmetics and Clairol and, and had a great, wonderful business career. But I reached a point in my life that... I really started to think, and this is after 9-11 and after a couple of the big corporate implosions like WorldCom and Enron. So I just started to question whether I was devoting my talent and time to an endeavor that was meaningful to me. And I realized that it really wasn't. And that I was raised by two public servants, both in education, and they are both my heroes. And um, I've always been inspired by their commitment to public service in their in their professional lives, and so I decided to go to law school with the idea of of serving. I wasn't exactly sure how when I when I first went, um, but I got to law school and just had a 
really wonderful experience um, and enjoyed learning the law. I found it incredibly engaging, um, really, really interesting. Um, And in many ways, it still tapped on many of the skills that I had acquired over the course of my educational and professional career leading up to that path. Because law is also, you know, like engineering, it's a very sort of analytical discipline to learn. So I had a great experience in law school. But because I was dedicated to a professional life in service, I, I then, you know, committed to my career path in government. So my first job out of law school was to serve as an assistant attorney general here in the attorney general's office. And I've worked in criminal appeals. And that was a great place to start as a lawyer because you get to review the cases that have been tried um, and and you learn a lot about kind of what things go well and when things don't go well as a prosecuting attorney. So that was a great um, learning experience. But then I did go on to serve for eight years as a federal prosecutor. And that is just really a tremendously rewarding, uh, it's a rewarding job. It's a really uh, intense job. You get to do a lot of really complex litigation. I found it really interesting and challenging. I loved being part of the criminal justice system because my, my dad had a bunch of sayings, but one of his favorite was if you can't beat them, join them. So his his concept was sometimes to affect change, it's better to try to do it from the inside, right? Rather than trying to, you know, beat, beat on it from the outside. And so that's why I really loved being part of the criminal justice system because as a prosecutor, you have a lot of discretion in the manner in which you go about your job. And so I really loved being the person to, to be in the position to make the decisions on how cases were charged and how cases were, were prosecuted in court. So um, I found it a really rewarding job. So I wanted to ask you about a case in Chicago, the the case of Laquan McDonald, the teenager who was shot 16 times by a police officer. Right. And, you know, I remember it was a pretty heated time then because it was that happened not long after the Mike Brown shooting in Ferguson. So what were things like in Chicago after this? What was the mood like? So I think, you know, following the shooting, uh, it, it wasn't the shooting itself that really sort of created a stir. Although each time there is a, a police-involved shooting, it, people are extremely concerned, right? It, it wasn't until the video of the shooting was released when people actually got to witness at least what you could see on the video about what happened, where people were just outraged. I mean, there was utter, utter outrage in the city of Chicago about how this young gentleman was was killed and um, and the fact that there was this videotape of the incident and the and the videotape had been held from the public for so long um, and so people at that point it, it really just people were fed up with you know the the situation the relationship between the Chicago Police Department and the communities that it serves had had were just at a breaking point at that moment, and and so things really exploded, and it was a really really tough time here in the city. People were at, started asking a lot of really really hard questions, and it was a real reckoning for the city. You know, and I think at the time Loretta Lynch was the attorney general under Obama, yes, and she initiated an investigation into the Chicago Police Department. What were some of the changes that were brought on by by this oversight? Yes. So so shortly after the video was released and there was the controversy around what had happened and people were really trying to understand, you know, 
what happened and and how can we prevent this from happening again in the future? So there were a number of reforms that were were looked at and considered, but uh, the first thing was that the, there was a replacement of the superintendent of the uh, of police, right? So the first thing was to replace the person at the top of the police department. And of course, then the, the, what happened shortly after that was to replace the person who oversaw the city agency that evaluates these shooting incidents. And and so that's that's where I became involved is because I was asked to lead that agency. So in December of 2015, I did take over as the chief administrator of the Independent Police Review Authority um, and started um, working on a path towards reforming that agency, which was the reputation was just very, very badly broken at that point. People just had lost confidence. And it's because part of it was driven by, you know, the Laquan McDonald shooting. But in the shooting itself just really inspired people to really look more closely at the accountability system that was in place and just discovered that it, it wasn't working at all. So part of it was people went back and looked and realized that out of 300 or more officer-involved shooting incidents that had occurred, during the eight-year lifespan of the Independent Police Review Authority, the agency had only found that the officer did something wrong in two. And so this two out of 300 plus number, people were kind of scratching their heads. They just didn't understand how that could be. And so that's why there was a lot of concern about whether the agency was really working. And so I I took over the leadership and made and started down the path of making a lot of reforms at the same time, roughly the same time, uh, the mayor of the city of Chicago also impaneled a task force, the Police Accountability Task Force, to really look at the police accountability system in the city and come back with some recommendations to the mayor. And so that task force did its work over the next couple of months. And, and by March or April, they came out with their report, which um, was really the first time where you had a report in writing that really expressed extreme concern with the department's handling of its policing powers um, in terms of uh, racial discrimination. Um, I'm not sure if the report actually came out and called the department racist, but it really raised the issue about the racially disparate treatment um, that was evident in the way the Chicago Police Department does its work. So, so again, so this is this was a, a big denouement for for the for the city, and um, and uh, you know by then the DOJ was already working and, and looking and starting their investigation. And so the other outcome of that uh, task force report was that the, the agency that I was heading up, that was decided that the reputation was so badly tarnished that it really couldn't survive and so that the city needed to build a new agency in its place. So that's when um, I kind of had two jobs at that point then, um, which was to continue to the operations of the Independent Police Review Authority because it had, to, had responsibility for taking in complaints about police misconduct and investigating police incidents such as shootings. And so we had to continue the work of that agency while at the same time building a completely new agency to take over the next year. And so we, we went about that process over the next year. And that was that was a huge opportunity. Um, it was a big challenge, but also a huge opportunity. So there was, there's been a lot of, that's been going on in the city of Chicago from an accountability perspective in the last 18 months. So now that we have Jeff Sessions as the attorney general, I, you know, I can't really imagine 
him being involved in cases like this or being involved with anything in relation to police accountability. Yeah. So the 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 fact that, you know, I mean, Jeff Sessions has really made it clear that he has no interest in pursuing DOJ having a role in police accountability nationwide. There's just zero interest in that. So any any work in, you know, on police accountability is going to have to be done at the state and local level. And so that's why, you know, it's really important that the state's attorneys general, uh, you know, kind of fill that void. And, you know, everyone here in Chicago was just relieved when Attorney General Madigan filed the lawsuit to try to fill that void that the sessions DOJ left so that we would have a government entity working, um, you know, with integrity on police reform for us here in Chicago. So it was just a really important step. You know, when I was doing my research for this interview, I discovered that, you know, like a lot of things in government, Mm -hmm. there's a great amount of imbalance in the Office of Attorneys General on a state level. When you look across the country, of course, there are far more men than women and there are fewer people of color in these offices. So given the importance of the Office of Attorney General, especially now, given the need to sometimes oppose federal actions from a local position, should people care more about these races and pay more attention to how these positions are balanced? Not only balanced between the two parties, but balanced in terms of race and gender. Absolutely. This is something that I really, the the one good thing is that hopefully people are really paying much more attention to who really fills these these roles because they do play such an, an incredibly important, um, they have such an incredibly important impact on people's lives on a day-to-day basis, particularly when it comes to the issues of uh, constitutional policing. So um, that imbalance is important and, and, and it is important because particularly it's not because they have a role and responsibility to, to, for work directly in the state in which they reside. But now the coalition of attorneys general has just become so critically important at pushing back on these big national issues such as immigration and civil rights. So um, yeah, the makeup of in terms of what these, the, what the values that these people bring to the office is just really important. So yesterday you rolled out your anti-corruption agenda. Why was this a priority for you? Well, I don't know if you've heard, but we have a little bit of a problem here in Illinois with corruption. <laughs> I have heard. <laughs> That's okay. No, it, you know, we've had, you know, two governors go to jail um, and um, we have a, a political system here in Illinois that just clearly does not have sufficient checks and balances. And I'll tell you, since I've been on the campaign trail, I've really heard a lot of frustration amongst the citizens and the voters that they are just really frustrated with their political leadership, not delivering on the solutions that they need, but lining the pockets of themselves and the business and special interest groups that um, you know, that are working against us here. So it's a really big problem. And I think that the attorney general can play a much stronger, more proactive role at rooting out corruption 
at all levels of government, local, county, and state. You know, I was just looking through some of the numbers, and you cite the research by Professor Dick Simpson, and he's a professor of political science at the University of Illinois. And his research shows something like 2,000 public officials in Illinois have been locked up since 1971. I mean, that seems like a really high number. Yeah, it's really concerning. And, you know, I just, it's really, uh, we need to, it's, it just can't go on, man. That that's the reality of it. So, and I think now we, you know, we need to marshal uh, the support of the voting public to say, look, we've had enough of this. We want to have some checks and balances in place so that we can hold our political actors accountable when they aren't doing the right thing. And so, I'm really excited about being in a position to be able to really work on that and and make some change for good here because it's it's really an important it's an important priority. So what do you think has been the biggest barrier for tackling corruption in Illinois? Well, I mean, there's no question that, you know, political leaders, they don't ever want to be overseen, right? They, it's, they're always going to push back against oversight. So th- that's always going to be a challenge. But that's why it's really important that the citizens make clear that this is really what they demand to have happen. And I think when you see progress, it's because that that's what has happened. And so for example, in the city of Chicago, we have an inspector general, right, that is responsible for rooting out government corruption and waste. And for a long time, that inspector general only had jurisdiction over the city agencies, but not the political structure of the city government. So not over the aldermen, for example. And they, because they resisted that when they, when they put the ordinance in place that established the office of the inspector general, they carved themselves out of the, the office's jurisdiction. Well, you you know what? We had enough problems where the the citizens were like, "Look, that's over. We we need to have oversight of of our political leaders as well." And and ultimately, they did get an ordinance through. The inspector general does have jurisdiction over the aldermen, and so that's what we need to have happen at at the state level here in Illinois. We need to we need to make that happen because, you know, the political elite is always going to resist. So they're going to have to be pushed into it. You know, one of your agenda items that that I found most interesting was the statute of limitations for initiating an investigation. Yes. So if you wanted to initiate an investigation for something like corruption, you would need to initiate that or that would need to happen within a year. Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't around when that um, when that the statute was originally crafted with the one year. So, I mean, I understand, you know, as a as a prosecutor and as a person who's been in the accountability world, the anti-corruption world, because I, I did work for the office of the inspector general. So I understand that there is a need to have a limitation because you because there's a point at which it could become difficult to, for example, defend against accusations if you know, a case isn't brought until 10 years later. You, you know, witnesses could be unavailable. Evidence can be lost or no longer available. So there is a reason why you want to have some some kind of statute of limitations. But one year is just way too short. There's a lot of reasons why people might not come forward within the course of a year, you know, to bring complaints. And the one year is just too short to be able to really deliver justice in the way, the way that it needs to be Done. So my suggestion was to expand that to three years, which is which is not, you know, still, a, I think, a reasonable amount of time in terms of making sure that, you know, people have the opportunity to gather the evidence to defend themselves. 
So what are some of the other key tenets of your anti-corruption agenda? Right. So the first thing is, you know, with regard to the the legislature and in terms of oversight, there the way that the structure that currently exists, there's the legislative inspector general and the legislative ethics commission. Now, last fall it was it was discovered that the legislative inspector general position had remained unfilled for at least three years. And so this was a real problem. So what it meant was that the one mechanism that we did have in place to provide oversight of the legislature was unfilled. And and so there was nothing getting done. So that's just a problem, right? That's wrong. I, if I had been attorney general, I would have pointed that out and made sure that the office was filled and fully staffed the way it should be. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is the, the statute that governs the powers and duties of that office is really not an independent office. It's There are too many ways in which the legislative inspector general is controlled actually by the people in power at the legislature. He, they've got to ask for permission to hire people. The, the inspector general has to ask for permission to issue a subpoena. The, there's certain reporting that the legislative inspector has to provide to the legislative leaders. And all that could seriously undermine the integrity of an investigation that's undertaken by the office. And so my, the second part of my recommendations is to remove some of those uh, impediments to independence that currently exist in that statute and rewrite the statute so that the office actually has some teeth. Then the next thing is to um, make sure that the state's attorney's offices across the state have the expertise, resources, and political will to go after political corruption. And so there's a number of ways that the office can do that, but we need to make sure that we have um, the state's attorney's working on these cases. One of the ideas we've suggested is to have a, a state wide task force of law enforcement and the state's attorneys to try to work on collaborating and coordinating activities in this arena, share information, share expertise, and that and that way we can get more activity going um, and you get more resources used to root out government corruption. So those are some of the core tenets of the platform. And then you also mentioned that you want to, there's a plan to designate integrity officers in each region. Yes. What exactly would an integrity officer do? Well, I think the idea is that sometimes, in particular when you have, you know, an issue such like corruption, people don't know who to call or who to talk to about it because they can't, you know, they, they're not sure who they can trust, you know, with the information. If they, if they go directly to the government agency that in which the corruption is occurring, then they don't know if the person that they're going to be reporting it to is involved or not. And so the purpose of this is to have someone in each region of the state that is there so that people know where to turn and people know, you know, where to go to, to provide information so that something can be done about it. And also, it's also going to be helpful to have somebody in each region to keep reminding the law enforcement and the state's attorney's offices in these areas of, of the importance of that mission. So it's kind of a twofold objective. So under an attorney general, Sharon Freely, what could the average person expect to see in their day-to-day lives? Um, for me, this job is about protecting people from the powerful. I mean, the, the, the office of the attorney general is really meant to help give voice to the people whose voices have been silenced or drowned out by the powerful, whether it's government or business. 
people who don't have the resources or knowledge or experience to defend themselves. The office must stand in their stead and protect them and protect the resources and well-being of the state, whether it's in the environment, the economy. It's, it's really an important role. And so I have, you know, only represented the state citizens of, of Illinois as a lawyer. And so this to me is just a natural extension of my personal and professional life is to, is to step up into this role. I really love being a lawyer. I'm not a politician. I got into this race just because I really believe we need a really strong, experienced and independent lawyer to serve uh, uh, the best interests of our citizens. And I believe that you know, looking at everybody else who has entered the race, I have the best qualifications because I have well-rounded legal experience. I have business experience, so I know how to manage people and processes and budgets. But also I have a very unique personal background that gives me a set of values that I think are very consistent with what the people of Illinois want and need right now. Somebody who cares about the little guy, somebody who has the courage and tenacity to stand up to the powerful, whether it's Trump or the Rauner administration or big corporations. And so that's why I'm here. That's why I'm trying to tell my story. And I really appreciate the opportunity to have talked to you today. Well, Sharon Fairley, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a true pleasure talking to you. I wish you all the best in your campaign. And um, most of all, thank you for your dedication to public service. All right. Thank you. 